Hello, welcome to Interdependent Study, our podcast where we engage in the learning and unlearning work for social justice and collective liberation. I'm Damien. And I'm Aaron. Thank you so much for joining us today. For those new to our podcast, Interdependent Study is meant to be a space and community for folks who believe in and want to do the work of social justice. Each week, we'll bring something new to the table and discuss our thoughts and feelings about it through the lenses of who we are and where we can go for a more just society. We want Interdependent Study to be a space where we're always learning with one another. And Aaron is up this week. What have you brought to the table today? Yeah, so um, there there are a lot of places to go, uh, I think, with this conversation. <laughs> uh, but the articles I'm bringing today, uh, I got a couple other pieces I'll talk about in a second, but um, are kind of responses to the conservative attacks on critical race theory. Mm-hmm. So I've got an article called The War on Critical Race Theory by David Theo Goldberg from the Boston Review. Um, I did misspeak last week, and I said that uh, his name was Adam Theo Goldberg. My my apologies you there, sure did. <laughs> David. Um, my apologies. Um, and the other article I've got is called The GOP's Critical Race Theory Obsession by Adam Harris, and this was published in The Atlantic. Um, I also added a video clip from Mark Lamont Hill's show on the Black News Channel. Um, the first is a two-minute clip that I think we just looked at on Twitter. Um, of C.J. Pearson, uh, and the second is a, is the full interview um, of Mark Lamont Hill with Christopher Rufo, um, who has been kind of the ringleader of this uh, circus uh, of attacks on critical race theory. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'll, I also have a couple tweets that I'll mention kind of at the, at the end, okay. um, at some point along the way, um, and I think some other stuff that we've seen pop up here and there. I think you... you uh, have mentioned a couple of things as we prepare as well. So I think uh, this this conversation, I think, you know, we're, we're pulling a lot of different threads from a lot of different places mm-hmm. um, to try to weave our own fabric here on the on the episode today. Nice. Um, so we'll see. Uh, we'll see where this goes. But I, I, you know, this is more of a current event than a specific piece of media that we're trying to learn about. Um, so you know, it's not like we actually read Faces at the Bottom of the Well by Derek Bell or um, any of the other books that are part of sort of the critical race theory uh, body of work. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, we've we've got a lot of different places to go. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm excited for this conversation and really sort of excited to see where it goes. Right for the for the reason you just you just mentioned there. Um, you know, and I and I'm excited about it because I think the societal conversation that's happening right now around critical race theory is fascinating. Right. Yeah. Um, and it like boggles my mind, um, specifically thinking about like the backlash and and critiques of critical race theory by conservatives mostly. Um, that's happening literally as we speak. So, right. you know, I think our conversation today is 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 timely and and hello relevant and you know, and I think it's important as I think about our focus on uh, and conversations about social justice and collective liberation, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, let's let's get into it. You know, I think both of the articles you mentioned, you know, and the the really great video clips, great is probably not the best word, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that you found as well. You know, I think all of the media sort of on the table today worked really well in concert to sort of describe, like, what critical race theory is and how it came to be, yep. um, what critical race theory is not. Um, and, and as I mentioned, some of the most prominent critiques out there about it. So, you know, I appreciated what those articles and videos sort of 
did for us and, and, and helping us sort of have this conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I actually think one of the first things we should do is define what critical race theory is and, and talk a little bit about its history before we dive into yeah. it. Right. Does that sound good? Yeah. 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 Uh, let's do that. Um, because I think, I, I do think that's the best, probably one of the best ways for us to set up the rest of the conversation we want to have. So yeah, take Great. it away. All right. Well, so, all right. So for those who may be unfamiliar, uh, critical race theory really at its core is an academic framework that teaches us how race is a socially constructed category uh, that is used to oppress people of color. Um, and it also examines uh, social and cultural and legal issues um, as they relate to race and racism. Um, so that's sort of one piece of it. And then taking it a step further, you know, and, and some of this I'm taking straight from the, the articles, um, but also some of my understanding of, of CRT, you know, critical race theory is also often coupled with the theory of intersectionality um, mm-hmm. by our friend Kimberly Crenshaw, which, you know, in part contends that race operates along with like other key factors of social and societal positioning, right? So things like class, gender, disability, uh, status, sexual orientation, religion, and, and sort of the other various uh, dimensions of identity that, that folks hold. Um, and so thinking about this in practice, you know, when we have and when we're talking about critical race theory, um, and we're applying an intersectional lens to an issue or to our society, that really means that we're thinking about how both conditions and context play a huge role in what like the primary and, and compounding forces of inequality and, and victimization are, right, in a particular yeah. circumstance, yeah, yeah. Um, particularly for marginalized folks. Um, and so, you know, I think it's, I think intersectionality, um, and especially given sort of Kimberly Crenshaw's role in in that and in critical race theory. I think those things are often sort of talked about in concert with one another. And so, you know, there's there's certainly a lot more that I think we should talk about in terms of what critical race theory is and what it isn't. Um, and I know we'll we'll get there. Uh, I've got a whole episode to fill here. Um, but I I, I want to kick it over to you because I I want to hear your thoughts on that. And I also um, think it would be good for us to also talk about the history of critical race theory too, right? And sort of set yeah. that context, right? And, and talk about maybe some of the original uh, or important originators of it. Yeah. Um, well, also, I think, um, I think you did a good job talking about intersectionality. Um, but because, but like what I read, what I remember reading in the article, I was like, that's not quite right. Like yes. it doesn't quite capture yep. um, my understanding of it. Um yeah, it wasn't the full picture. Yeah, but to to jump back to the beginning, um, sort of the history of CRT, this is very truncated, um, but Derek Bell uh, was a law professor at Harvard, uh, writes an article, I think it starts teaching a class specifically about how the law and race combine, mm-hmm. um, and... Um, you know, and how the law isn't the neutral thing that we generally think it is. Um, and so Bell ends up leaving Harvard a few years after that class kind of starts um, because of the lack of diversity and new hiring for new law professors and some other circumstances that are going on uh, in the law school there. Um, I think specifically he suggested that the law school hire um, someone uh, and they didn't. Uh, yep. And he that that didn't sit well with him based on what was going on there. So, um, and that's just one factor. Oh yeah. Um, but, uh, Kimberly Crenshaw then enrolls in Harvard law school, 
um, after he has left, um, and she and some other students demand that this class that Derek Bell was teaching still be taught. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't happen um, because the law school doesn't have everybody, anybody who could teach it uh, effectively. Um, and so she uh, works with some of her other students and brings back Derek Bell and some other scholars um, to for a conference at Harvard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is kind of the beginning of critical race theory. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, that's kind of a, a very, very brief history of it um, and how it kind of started. Um, but back to Kimberly Crenshaw and intersectionality, we typically think of it um, as kind of like what the article said and and a piece of, I think, what you said, too, of how identities intersect with one another and how that influences our experiences, like sort of on a personal level. Yep. Um, but I think that what she's really talking about is how systems of oppression intersect to create further oppression for some folks, right? So in her original article, she was citing employment discrimination cases that black women were bringing to court and how in that process they had to cite, they had to decide whether it was, whether it was sexism or it was racism, right? And so it couldn't be both, even though both of those identities um, in different ways are oppressed um, and protected, Right. But to a certain extent by the law. And so um, that's kind of the the piece of that that I felt like wasn't didn't quite fit with what the author was writing. And I don't remember which article that was in, honestly. But um, as I was reading, I was like, that's not quite right. Um, But it's it's not that's not quite right. I think it's not quite sort of what the original sort of, you know, her original work around um, Mm -hmm. intersectionality is. And sort of I think it has evolved a bit. Um, And. Uh, right, um, and think about what intersectionally intersectionality is and how it can be applied um, in these scenarios. So I, I you know, absolutely, I appreciate you sharing that yeah. um, and the origins because that was definitely missed in whichever article it was. I don't remember either. Yeah. Um, but so okay. So speaking of these articles, you know, now that we've sort of I think given a little bit of context for what uh, CRT is, you know, one of the things that I appreciated about these articles and, and I think I even saw it a little bit in some of the interview between Mark Lamont Hill and Christopher Rufo, um, was sort of the, the demonstration or the inclusion of what the critiques are, uh, that are out there about critical race theory, um, and some of the opposition legislation that's being proposed or, or has even been passed across the country, um, because, uh, you know, both of these articles pointed out and and I actually don't think it takes a, a rocket scientist to see this. Like there are big problems with these critiques and with this legislation, mm-hmm. you know, and that's centered around their legality, like their ultimate legality, um, right. the vagueness of their language. Um, and I think the, the potential harm in both suppressing free speech um, and and the damage that can be done and has been done to sort of real work and education and and other efforts happening around these important topics, right? Yeah, and I think, uh, like, as you talk about that, I'm like, yeah, even, like, FIRE, the freedom... Oh, I don't remember what... what, But it's they specifically look out for free speech rights. Um, And I would say that, in general, they have leaned sort of more conservative, maybe maybe libertarian is a better way Mm -hmm. to describe um, what they what they do. And it's it's about these personal freedoms to say kind of whatever you want. And so they've been at um, 
they've been very stringent about that. And even they're saying like these aren't these aren't constitutional, right? right. And so um, I, I think that that's one sign. And I also think that as we think about sort of what freedom of speech is and who actually has access to freedom of speech, mm. right? Like I think about the sort of wave of, and I think this is tied into this, this wave of complaints from folks on the right about how they can't say whatever they want to say anymore. Um, and that that is, um, you know, some kind of, Affront to, affront to yeah. their freedom of speech. Yeah. Um, and it's like, well, yes and no. Like, I mean, people are just saying, like, maybe you shouldn't say that anymore. But they're not necessarily systematically passing laws to say that you can't say that anymore. Right. Right. But, you know, now you're out here systematically passing laws in this organized effort to actually stop people from talking about race, basically. And yeah. I, I talk a little bit more about that in a minute because I think th there's a quote from the article I want to read. But yeah, yeah, sorry to jump in. No, yeah, that's yeah. perfect, right? And so, and I and and I think that's the piece, right? That that's what this legislation is doing, right? Mm -hmm. Like sort of at mm -hmm. a systematic systematic level, if you will, right? And so, you know, let's let's talk about those, right? So there's a proposed bill uh, in New Hampshire that would ban schools and organizations that have state contracts uh, from endorsing, and I'm going to put this in air quotes, divisive concepts, yeah. you know, <laughs> whatever that means, right. slash, I think we all know exactly what they mean by that. Um, you know, this New Hampshire bill in particular specifically forbids a number of things. So race or sex scapegoating, um, questioning the value of meritocracy, um, and the, the, the kicker, uh, suggesting that New Hampshire or, or the United States in general is fundamentally racist. Mm. Um, so you can't do those things under this bill. Um, there's also some stuff happening in Arkansas where they've actually approved a measure that would ban state contractors from offering training uh, that promotes, and I'm quoting here, division between resentment of or social justice for groups based on race, gender, or political affiliation, right? Like, and y'all heard me correctly, social justice <laughs> for groups based on race, gender, or, or political affiliation, right? I guess they Oof. just don't want none of that yeah. in Arkansas. Um and then there's also Idaho and Louisiana who have both passed bills that would ban public schools from compelling, and I'm quoting here, compelling students to personally affirm, adopt, or adhere to specific beliefs about race, sex, or religion. And so, you know, again, as these articles pointed out, you know, while there may be questions about the ultimate legality of the legislation, I think the real concern here, you know, that I have and, and these articles point out is that, you know, is really sort of around the actual goals of this legislation, right? And right. and and the purpose of these critiques, the ultimate purpose of these critiques, right? Um, because I think there's also been a real and valid question out there about whether or not the folks who are critiquing and attacking critical race theory actually even understand it, right? Yeah, absolutely. I don't think they understand it much at all. They don't seem to. Right. Um so and that's based on some of the videos that we watched oh, that yeah. we'll, you know we'll we'll talk about but um and i think that's either a deliberate choice that they're making mm -hmm. um or it's a purposeful mischaracterization in order to make it seem like it's um this boogeyman right yeah. and it's simultaneously fringe mm -hmm. but also infiltrating everything right so yeah. uh, and that was something that um Mark Lamont Hill pointed out in one of the interviews that we can talk about in a little bit, but um, 
Also, one of the things I wanted to sort of point out that I really appreciated about the article from uh, David Theo Goldberg is that he really distinguishes between critical race theory and some critical race studies. Ah, yes, which, yes. you know, I think they like folks just kind of lump all that stuff together. And as you pointed out, like when we talked about critical race theory, that's specifically about the law. Yeah. It's expanded a little bit into like yep. sort of other areas, kind of policies and how different things work but it's very kind of structural and, yes. and legal um at, at least at its sort of foundation in history and then critical race studies is more about like you know um it's a broader kind of work so work yeah. and work by folks like ibram x kendi and angela davis and cornell west and Miriam kaba um you know would be included sort of in the critical race studies kind of area yeah um, i'm guessing like the documentary black boys would be lumped in here as oh, well and yeah. a lot of the other stuff that i think we've talked about on the podcast um and so there's no i think that's another reason why it seems like they don't really understand it is because there's no distinguishing between theory which is legal and yeah. then the studies which is like the sort of sociological and um like kind of broader application uh, broader application and analyzing the real lived experiences of people and all that stuff right yeah um and then i think another thing that i appreciated that i kind of alluded to um already is that both of these articles point out that these are orchestrated kind of attacks yes. right like this isn't just individuals trying to poke holes in this critical race theory kind of boogeyman again but um you know, David Theo Goldberg mentions that he received an envelope uh, from an advocacy group that was filled with documents from the Heritage Foundation, uh, which is an influential conservative think tank. Um, you know, but these documents call critical race theory the new intolerance mm. and the rejection of the underpinnings of Western civilization. Um, and Right. Like that's that's in their educational documents. That's in their um, um, webinars that they're host, hosting for yep. for people to, quote unquote, learn about what critical race theory is. Um, and I think that, you know, to call it the new intolerance is is wildly inappropriate. Yes. Um, I think, um, you know, I, I think that what critical race one of the things that critical race theory is doing is questioning some of some of the underpinnings of western civilization mm -hmm. um and so i don't know that's the outright rejection but it's like well how do we look at, like what have these underpinnings wrought for yes. all of us let's examine um, that right and so it yeah it's it's like this reductionist view taking things and amplifying them and like sort of losing all of the the nuance of them and that's that's what becomes the definition and that's kind of what Heritage Foundation is doing, this Christopher Rufo character is doing, and, and all of these other people. Um, so there's a lot of this kind of organizing that's happening on the right that's ultimately, I think, designed to stop us from talking about race at all. Yeah. I mean, I, I also appreciated that uh, in the article talking about it being orchestrated, right? Like it is yes. clearly yeah, yeah. orchestrated. And I also don't think, uh, you know, I, I have my... <laughs> I have my thoughts and my feelings about who these folks are and their character, right? But I don't think they're... Um, I, for lack of a better word, I don't think they're stupid, right? I think they know exactly what they're doing. I think this oh, is orchestrated absolutely. and deliberate, right? The, the, the things you said, um, particularly given how, you know, ubiquitous it seems to be now and, and how much it is uh, sort of immersed in our in our pop culture right now, right? Mm -hmm. um, and sort of all around us. So, uh, and again, like, 
you know, I just really am worried about sort of the the power and the effect of this and the long lasting effect of this, uh, despite the, you know, potential unconstitutionality and the yeah. you know, not constitutionality or the, uh, you know, legality of it uh, mm-hmm. for sure. Right. So, uh, all right. So you mentioned Christopher Rufo. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I do want to talk a little bit about that interview with him and, um, he was on Mark Lamont Hill's news show, which is called black news tonight. And mm-hmm. so you can, you can Google that. Uh, and, you know, uh, he was a guest talking about why he opposes the teaching of critical race theory in schools uh, and sort of his overall critiques of critical race theory. And, you know, folks, uh, as sort of as in a funny aside, I, I watched this interview the other day in between a couple of meetings and I immediately texted Aaron a few minutes into it. And I was like, this was a mistake. <laughs> I, <laughs> this was a mistake to watch this in this moment as I was sort of in work mode and in, in a place. And uh, I got to the point in the interview when uh, Christopher Rufo actually claimed that critical race theory was, and I'm quoting here, an intellectually bankrupt theory. And I just damn near lost my mind. And, yeah. I, and I cursed Aaron a little bit. Uh, I didn't say he, it. He didn't say it. Yeah. But this, he's, this is what I he's brought to the table. disagree with yeah, him. This is what he's brought to the table. Uh, no, I know that. So, it, I mean, but it honestly was one of the most infuriating interviews I've ever watched, right? And and, and that's because, and I've and I've said this before. I think my biggest issue with folks like Christopher Rufo and 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 you know his comrades who critique and oppose critical race theory is that there's a clear lack of understanding about what critical race theory is. And I think there is this circular way in which they respond to folks questioning their belief. Um, yeah. that is sort of you know, uh, for lack of a better word, just mind blowing to see and to watch happen. Right. So right. You know, I think. Some of the examples of this from the interview were how Christopher Rufo talked about how critical race theory is a form of state state sanctioned racism. Yeah, it's it's not, Um, you know, how he contradicted himself when he as it relates to sort of his thinking on what critical race theory is and how critical race theory actual critical race theory is practiced right um and sort of you know and i think uh you know you just made a good point aaron about sort of the studies piece right and so Mm. sort of coupled with that um is an important distinction um you know how he compared critical race theorists some of whom who he referred to as racists um to kkk members which i mean at that point i i think i shut my laptop and walked away yeah um yeah yeah. like no uh like (laughs) how dare you is the nicest way i can put this on this uh podcast of ours um you know and especially how he thinks about what we should be teaching in schools right um you know to me i you to me, in my opinion, you can't say that you think slavery should be taught in schools because it is a part of this country's history. And he said that, right? Mm-hmm. But then ascribe actions or thinking that aren't aligned with critical race theory, things like racial superiority or racial essentialism, you know, as rationale for why critical race theory is bad. Because again, that is not what critical race theory is. Um, and that's what Mark Lamont Hill points out to him. The other piece that sort of got me uh, that I'm just sort of thinking about now is like, and I think Mark sort of says this, is like, what is the actual harm in teaching students and young people about slavery? Like, you again, you can't say that you think slavery should be taught in schools, um, but then sort of, you know, backtrack on that. You know, what would it mean for a young person to hear about and particularly our, our our young white children, but all of us, right, to hear about 
this moment in time, this painful moment in time in our history, to then maybe think, whoa, wow, we definitely shouldn't do that again, right? We shouldn't repeat that. I right. that that is atrocious and awful. And 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 we and our society and our generation growing up, we will never do anything like that, right? Like, what is the harm in that, right? Um, and so, you know, I, I just had so many issues with that and sort of it, I think, was um, indicative of what uh, folks like Christopher Rufo across the country and some of even our sort of conservative politicians are, are thinking about this. And I mean, don't even get me started on why or on how Christopher Rufo couldn't and wouldn't say that he identifies as white towards the end. I, again, shut yeah. my laptop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think um, he cited a bunch of things that uh, allegedly have been going on around the country, right? So mm-hmm. I think he talked, there's this one moment that, um, as you were talking about students learning about uh, enslavement and um, how, you know, potentially uh, meaningful that could be for their own kind of development. Yep. And trying to make sure that that things like that don't happen again. Yep. Um, is he pointed out that third graders uh, yes. were asked to reflect on like their identities and what they mean to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, you know, his tone and when he talked about that made it sound like it was the most abhorrent thing in the world. Um, and I think like, I think that that's the point is yep. that, he and and I think that's the point in what you said too of like he couldn't and wouldn't say that he identifies as white, um, is that he he doesn't and I think in general the right doesn't want people to reflect on what their identities mean to them yes. or and it's not even like I don't even think it's like the personal piece of it right it's the yes. the structural piece like what has this identity done for me or done against me based on the society that I'm living in, right? Because it, it then individualizes things um, that, uh, like, I think they're pushing for things to be very individual instead of yes. trying to understand how these systems are working um, based on what those identities are, right? So, Absolutely. Um, yeah, mm. yeah. Um, so I think, that, I think that that's what he would argue the harm is, is that then people have to, reckon with what their identities mean to the broader system y'all can't see my face so, right now as i stare at eric about that that's, yeah yeah i think i think oh, that's no. what he would say the harm is yeah <laughs> right um but yeah i mean watching that video and then also the the video with um cj pearson mm. um you know they reminded me of this quote from the war on critical race theory by david theo goldberg um he said Critical race theory functions for the right today primarily as an empty signifier for any talk of racism and race at all. As a catch-all specter lumping together multiculturalism, wokeism, anti-racism, and identity politics, or indeed any suggestion that racial inequities in the United States are anything but fair outcomes, the result of choices made by equally positioned individuals in a free society. They are simply against any talk, discussion, mention, analysis, or intimation of race, except to say we shouldn't talk about it. That's it. Yeah. Um, and so this rang tr- super true for me um, because I like I read that first and then I watched the video. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think uh, neither of these characters that Mark Lamont Hill brought on the show <laughs> wanted to actually engage with the concepts aside to say that they were intellectually bankrupt. Um, and so they both came off as 
the kids in class who didn't do the reading, but are really, really, really confident ah. uh, about their understanding <laughs> of the concepts. Yeah. That's that's 100% what it reminded me that's of. That's absolutely the case. Yeah. And, you know, I think what boggles my mind is sort of this idea of being, you know, both of those uh, uh, characters, as you refer to them as. Uh, I think characters is the best way to put it. It's the nicest way to put it. Yeah. Are, uh, I'm going to curse your folks, are grown-ass men, right? Yeah. And so, you know, you need to have some capacity as a grown-ass person, right, to do the things that you just talked about from that quote, right? Like to be able to have some in-depth analysis, right, and, and examination of these topics, right? Um, and you have the capacity to be able to do that, right? But it was clear that for both of them, right, like they just... We're not interested in that, and that mm -hmm. speaks directly to 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 this quote. Um, yep. So yeah, I appreciate you sharing it. Um, yeah. So I mean, you all should definitely check out those videos, but maybe be prepared to uh, be as upset as we we are uh, mm -hmm. and were in watching them. Mm -hmm. um, all right. So all of this talk of critical race theory, actually, Aaron reminds me um, of. Uh, last night, and I and I meant to text you, and I didn't. Um, but I was scrolling through Instagram, and I stumbled upon this great infographic from Impact, um, mm -hmm. so just at Impact, um, that literally talks about critical race theory and what it is and what it isn't. Um, and they posted it. I think if you want to go and take a look at it, it came out on like June fourteenth or fifteenth, and I and I didn't catch it originally, um, but it's it's great. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and so I wanted to to mention it here. Uh, if folks want to check it out, and I, we certainly will post it on our social media stories uh, soon as well. So, but I think what it does um, is it highlights what critical race theory is and what it isn't, as I mentioned, but it also lists some of the many reasons why we need critical race theory uh, now more than ever, right? So, some of the reasons, reasons why. Um, that we need it uh, or things like the fact that we don't live in a post-racial society, despite the fact that we have president Obama, you know, uh, yeah. that was a joke. Uh, the fact that the fact that we continue to see black and brown and marginalized people murdered in cold blood. Right. Um, and their families left without justice. Um, and the fact that we have real data on racial income inequality, wealth inequality, housing inequality, and sort of uh, the the inequalities that exist within our criminal criminal punishment system, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and so I think for all of those reasons and more, you know, we really need to embrace critical race theory and you know, and of course critical race studies, right? Sort of as this way to examine and understand why these conditions exist, yeah. um, you know, so that we can work to uh, eradicate right the systems and structures that enable them. Um, and so I, I definitely wanted to share that infographic from from Impact, and and again mm -hmm. we'll 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 post it too. Yeah, I just um I just looked at it as you were as you were talking about it, and it it looks it looks really nice. Yeah, um, it's a good little summary of some some of what it is and some of what it isn't. And, yeah, and uh, yeah, perfect. Um, all right, let's let's talk about application. All right, um, I think one of the things for me is that as you pointed out. Uh, critical race theory is about analyzing how the law is founded in white supremacy yes. because of how the law evolved in this country. Um, you know, there's a lot in the law that mm -hmm. established how things work here, right? Like, um, you know, whiteness basically got established through the law in yeah. Virginia in 16 something, something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, so it it is it's um it's foundational to the country because of the way that the country was founded, 
um, and we've talked about this before. We talked about the 1619 Project, but, yeah. you know, um, for example, Thomas Jefferson was writing the Declaration of Independence while being waited on by um, an enslaved man who was actually his uh, half-brother. So, uh, like a blood relative of him, but was enslaved by him. Right. Yeah. So um, that is, that is foundational to the formation of the so-called independent country based on ideas of freedom and, and liberty and justice for all. So, um, so we have to understand how that is operating within our organizations, religious institutions, schools, government bodies, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so I Man. like it's, um, you know, to dismiss critical race theory as a piece of like a broader conversation of understanding how race um, has influenced the United States, I think is just, um, it's so ignorant, right? And it's, um, yeah, it feels to me like, um, you know, burning books or Mm. um, banning books that are, that are challenging to the status quo just because they're challenging to the status quo and um, wanting to keep that uh, status quo intact as much as possible. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. It's, it's, it's ignorant and it's absurd. Right. And I, I really appreciate your point about the law and sort of the reach of the law, right. And the mm-hmm. impact of the law mm-hmm. sort of in all of these things you just mentioned, right. Like religious institutions and schools and government bodies and, and really the, the ways in which uh, to, to get down and to, could it, to get down and out of organizations, right? The ways in which we interact with one another as mm-hmm. well, right? Like the law is foundational to everything about our society. Um, and so critical race theory helps us sort of think about that and analyze that. Right. Um, Especially when we think yeah. about, like we talk about the United States being founded based on like ideas and laws, mm-hmm. right? Rather than sort of um, uh, the the divine right of kings or... Um, whatever other kind of like philosophies have underpinned previous governments. So if this, the foundation of the country is based in law and justice, but the laws weren't just Mm. and specifically established white supremacy in a lot of ways, then we we have to be able to like reckon with that. And this is a sort of rejection of that reckoning, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, as I think about application, it's sort of related to that, right? I think this, what's important here is having a clear understanding of a concept, right? Um, And, you know, as I've mentioned multiple times, I got myself real riled up this week with these (laughs) articles and videos. uh, Mm -hmm. And in thinking about the the critiques of critical race theory that are out there, um, you know, I'm all about having a healthy debate about something, but the arguments for or against something have to be based in facts and reality, right? Yeah. Um, and so much of the critiques and the opposition legislation that we've talked about here today is just not. Um, so I think that's one piece. The other piece of application for me that's related is sort of this greater appreciation that I now have for what critical race theory is, you know, and the importance of intersectionality in our work and our thinking around social justice, right? Um, yep. You know, none of us is just one thing, right? And so critical race theory and, and intersectionality reminds us that white supremacy plays a huge role in um, the societal and structural conditions that exist for folks with marginalized identities, right? And yep. I, and so I appreciate uh, you reminding us about sort of what 
you know, the, the origins of intersectionality there, right? Because I think mm-hmm. it impacts both us as people, but it also is based in this idea of um, the societal and structural impacts um, of, of white supremacy. And so, you know, that to me just keeps me grounded and, and reminds me about, you know, all of our many conversations, both on this podcast and off about white supremacy and how we've got to keep having conversations about it and also working and fighting to dismantle it. Yeah, I think fighting to dismantle it while also offering something new, right? Like, Mm. I think that that is something that is uh, a piece of the abolition work that's sort of sticking with me um, as I continue, you know, to to learn here with you. um, Is it's not just about dismantling, but building something new, right? So you can't... um, if we if we think of white supremacy as as a sort of characteristic that's kind of ingrained in us, we can't just rip that out without figuring out what we replace it with. Absolutely. Right? So, um, yeah, good point. Um, but all right, so let's talk about homework. All right. Um, so I think my homework is to suggest that folks actually learn a little bit more about what critical race theory actually is. Yeah. Um, you know, watch a video like Kimberly Crenshaw's "The Urgency of Intersectionality," um, and that's a TED talk. Um, that is available. Uh, also check out some books, you know, actual books by some actual scholars like Derek Bell or Richard Delgado or, um, you know, any number of people, Kimberly Crenshaw, like I mentioned. Yep. Um, but I, what I also want to do is, um, for some homework is to quote this tweet. Uh, I have a couple actually from, uh, Ijoma Aluo. Um, so she said, what if we organized and fought for critical race theory as hard as racists have been fighting against it? What if we were coming together in schools demanding that our children receive accurate, relevant, and effective anti-racist education in schools? What if we were doing more to uplift teachers and administrators giving our children anti-racist education than racists are to tear them down? What if school boards knew that we were the parents they really have to reckon with. Wow. Um, so that, I read that and was like, yes. Yep. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, retweet. Yeah. Um, Let me get on that. Yeah. And then um, another tweet I found by uh, Amani Gandhi said, uh, we need to quit conceding that critical race theory is being taught in public schools. Conservatives do this thing where they redefine words and then people use those definitions as if they are accurate. We got to stop doing that. If your kid is learning critical race theory, your kid is in law or grad school. Mm. Maybe your kid is in college and took an intro level class. Your kid is not in high school. Your kid is not in junior high school or elementary school. This is madness. Wow. And so I also appreciate that piece of it, too, because I think tying that in together with um, Oluo's tweet, like really points out that like there's work to do mm-hmm. to demand sort of actual education in schools um, about our history and about how we move forward from that through anti-racism as a framework. Um, And there's a perspective from uh, Amani Gandhi who said, Gandhi, Gandhi, Um, who says like, but critical race theory actually isn't in our K-12 education. Right. Right. Like it, that's not really what's happening in any of those spaces. Um, and so I sort of appreciated how those things combine and complicate each other and, um, and, and, you know, work together, so to speak. Um, so yeah, I think, um, you know, when, when 
these anti-intellectual arguments about critical race theory and sort of anti-racism and stuff arrive in your school district, um, you know, we have to stand up and demand that we need to teach actual history, um, that our students need it and deserve it. And we need to continue to uncover, you know, all this history that's been deliberately hidden from all of us, um, our students and us, all yeah. of us collectively need to understand how race is, has been shaped in this country. Um, and how it has then shaped this country and continues to shape it. And we can't do that if we refuse to talk about it or, you know, teach about it or learn about it. That's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, we will uh, also share those tweets as well uh, mm -hmm. because they're amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'm with you. I think my homework was to just do some more uh, reading f about critical race theory. Um, you know, I specifically want to read... Um, work by some of the folks you mentioned, right? Some of these important critical race theory scholars. Um, and so books I'm adding to my to-read list uh, are Kimberly Crenshaw's Critical Race Theory, The Key Writings That Formed the Movement, mm -hmm. um, Ibram Kendi's How to Be an Anti-Racist, uh, Derek Bell's Faces at the Bottom of the Well, um, and Richard Delgado's Critical Race Theory and Introduction. And so, I, you know, I've definitely actually read excerpts and parts of all four of those books, but I have not read all of them in their entirety um, so that's going to be my homework. Yeah, those are good ones. So I, another thing that stuck out to me as I prepared for this conversation um, is perusing YouTube um, as I wanted to suggest some like easily digestible things that people could watch to get a, a primer or an explainer about critical race theory. Um, and like 80 to 90% of the results on that first page for the search specifically, what is critical race theory? were from right-wing organizations or personalities. Mm. Um, and so I think that this is also a piece of this like sort of concerted attack where people are jumping on this. Yeah. I think it's becoming more of a boogeyman and so more people are like, oh, I need to also release my own video about this. Yeah. Um, so like Candace Owens has one and yeah. Prager University has one and a, you know, a bunch of other organizations. Uh, Heritage um, has a YouTube uh, video about it. Um, but I, I want to point this out because it's, it's um, troubling because of how ubiquitous YouTube is mm -hmm. as a as a simple, accessible explainer of concepts to people. Whether you're you know learning how to cook something, mm -hmm. um, or you're learning uh, about um, how to repair your washing machine, which is a video I recently watched on YouTube, or how to like or what critical race theory is. So um, I think that's also something to be critical of as we are taking in more media is like yeah. what, what what is what are these angles that people are bringing to to things um particularly on a platform like youtube right so, yeah um all right damien you're up next what are you bringing to the table in our next episode it is my turn to bring something to the table um all right so next week i'm bringing a documentary called rise again mm. tulsa and the red summer to the table um, it's by National Geographic uh, and actually uh, debuts uh, or debuted on Nat Geo and Hulu earlier this month. And so it is very much so still a brand new documentary. And so I uh, hope folks check it out with us. Um, and so just a little bit about it. Rise Again features and follows a Washington Post reporter who documents the discovery of a mass grave site in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And sort of with that, um, the documentary also shares the violence and destruction that took place in Tulsa and the, you know, 
immense atrocities that were committed against black people in that city. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think it's definitely going to be a difficult watch, obviously, but, you know, I'm excited for us to learn more about this significant piece of Tulsa's history that hasn't really been shared anywhere else um, or shared before, I should say. And so, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to watching it and, and, and talking about it next week. Yes. Yeah, I think that history is another piece of history that's been so hidden from us. I was yeah. kind of talking about earlier, right? And I remember when the HBO series Watchmen came out mm-hmm. um, and it opened with scenes from that from a, the Tulsa massacre. Um, and that was the first time many people, lots yeah. of people had learned um, about it, which you know says a lot about how history is told or not told uh, in this country. Yeah. All right. Well, we want to thank you for joining us today and listening to Interdependent Study. Uh, you know what I'm going to ask you to do here, but in case you forgot, please follow, leave a rating and review, share our podcast with the people in your life, follow us on social media, and sign up for our email list to get notified about any of the new things we've got going on behind the scenes. Absolutely. Uh, thank you for listening. And remember, it's not about us, but it is about us. We'll talk to you next week. Uh-huh.